This is Quorum with Quorum's Quorum. And my guest today is Rudir Krishtel of Krishtel Coaching. And I enjoyed this conversation a lot. It was easy to talk to Rudir. Uh, there's a reason why he's an executive coach after practicing law. Uh, but hearing about his transformation, there's some surprises in there. And Rudir, thanks for joining me. Great to see you again. Thank you for having me. What goes in the decision to to grow the beard out? Is it this is the wintertime thing and that's why the beard is getting longer now? I love the beard. I really, I really enjoy it. I didn't have a beard until maybe my last year at Apple. And, you know, having a beard in a corporate work environment, I don't think there's a big deal, but for me it felt like a big deal. But when I grew it there and I left, I kept it. And um I've only shaved twice in the last three years. It's when my son was born because it felt rough against his sensitive newborn skin. And then this year when I had back surgery Mm. because of all of the things that happened in surgery. And I think they had a mask on me or something. And because of that, um, it was better to have the beard shaved, but my son, um, it, because I've had it from a pretty early age with him, he uh, it's 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 what soothes him. Like uh, kind of like people, kids have a blanket or a stuffed animal, but for for him, it's my beard. And so at night, you know, there's this stage that he goes through, and he's like, "Now I want daddy," and he sort of puts his hand on the beard, and he kind of falls asleep. Or in the middle of the night, when he wakes up, he'll reach for it, and with that. Um, you know, it's staying. Honestly, that got me teared up a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so now I know a beard only goes for momentous occasions. So, okay. So then you only had a beard that last year at Apple. What, what changed? What made you decide to say, you know, I'm going, I'm going for the beard right now. I started getting more comfortable. I think my personality many years ago was sort of um, one that felt more comfortable fitting in. And I started to feel just a bit more comfortable sort of with physical appearance, Um, you know, in a workplace coming from DC, you work in DC and a typical outfit for a lot of uh, men in in the workplace, maybe, you know, the sweater vest and collared shirt, like you, you can't, you know, walk 10 feet without seeing the sweater vest and the collared shirt in DC. And I felt, I fit the mold and, you know, a certain pair of shoes or a certain style in a certain way. And I remember feeling um, something about it, like there was a restriction or something that came up uh, when I was at Apple, just sort of uh, presenting myself in a certain way. And I bought a red pair of Jordans in response to that, because I felt like I was limiting myself. But when I put them on and I was walking into work, my heart was shaking. Like I was so nervous about wearing something that was different. I was sort of way more conformist in my style. And when I put that on, I literally got uncomfortable. But then I also noticed the number of people that came up to me that day and were just talking to me and and pointing it out and saying something. And I think it was the big one of the things that flipped that allowed me to be even that much more comfortable being different. I think I spent a lot of my life trying to be the same or trying to fit within a certain mold. And I think that moment, I share this story a lot with my clients because they're always, 
you know, we're in this process of evolving and transforming and growing and changing in that moment where I just put on a bright piece of clothing, which I would never would have done um, on a pair of shoes that have their own sort of, you know, reflection. I felt like it was drawing attention and that makes me feel uncomfortable. And yet that's the thing I needed to get comfortable with. And so there's a lot of people that have this discomfort with the way in which they get attention. And I certainly did. And um, I remember that. And so then came the beard, you know, another thing as a lawyer, certainly there are lawyers with beards, but for me, it felt uncomfortable. Clean shaven was away. And so that came and other things came too. that. I think we're part of a trajectory of me leaving that life is being really comfortable rather than sort of falling towards a path is being really comfortable in sort of creating my own. So I think you had your, your interest in self growth and development kind of predated all this, right? I mean, so you, you had an interest in this for some time before that. So what was that transition like? Cause like you were doing all this self-development stuff and then something transformed and now it kind of proceeded to a different stage. Like what was that like? I think I've always been interested in personal growth. You know, I have friends, you know, I used to love reading history books, but then I have friends that joke with me that, oh, you know, they see me reading a book. They're like, well, what self-help book are you reading now? Right. And it's sort of a joke, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And there's, so there's, I've been one of those folks that's just always reading books about, you know, business, personal growth, spirituality, you know, personal evolution. I think those, that genre of book is always, I'm going to go to that section, you know, at Barnes and Noble any day. And um, I think noticing that the things that were calling me were also calling me to the direction I was going in. When I was at the company, I hit this wall and I just felt like, you know, I just want to be a guidance counselor. I want to go back to middle school and I want to be a guidance counselor because supporting people in their growth and exploring my own growth is the place that I want to sit. And it's just a natural place for me. And so realizing that, seeing that, recognizing it is, has allowed all of the things that I do now to sort of unfold. But it seems that, you know, what was that process like of taking that information and using it to change yourself? But then it seems like that process of finally putting on the shoes that you want to wear, you know, rocking the beard like you want to rock it. That seems like a very different stage of growth. So Tell me about like, it seems like a, a phased transition in, in how your growth kind of inflected. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't recognize who I am now vis-a-vis where I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the same for a lot of people. We grow, you know, I got this, you got a two and a half year old, almost a three-year-old and he grows at a rapid place. Who he was three months ago is totally different than who he is right now. I think it is as adults, we continue to grow, but those growth phases happen at periods that are slightly wider apart. Certainly we transform when we hit college or maybe grad school and we change the person we go, you know, we go in is different than when we come out or maybe law school or grad school or whatever it is for folks that have gone down that path um, or the job that you were in your twenties, but I'm 44 um, and you know, I hit a growth phase. And so whoever I was 10 years ago, I don't, I don't recognize anymore. And part of that were a lot of changes that came around. 
So why is it that you didn't feel like, so once you started to feel like you could be more of yourself, why didn't you feel like you could continue being that way in affecting change through the kind of work you were already doing? Why did you feel that, you know, you had to do something else? I think there was a tension, right? That was coming up. I could just feel it. I could feel being at work and feeling like there's something else that I want to do. I could feel that the I felt restricted in certain ways. Um, you know, I wanted to say things out loud and do certain things. And I felt like that wasn't happening. And so I had to plant myself in a different pot. Mm -hmm. um, if this isn't the pot that's allowing you to grow, then find the one that is allowing for that and plant yourself there and now allow that thing to, to happen and grow. And so I think you just start recognizing, I think a lot of people feel this way. Um, I get a lot of phone calls from people and they say, you know, I'm just, um, Things are going really well. I'm successful. You know, I'm doing well financially. I um, have a great job. In fact, I, this is probably where I want to be five years ago and I'm there now. And yet something's not right. And I think that for me, I was listening to that certainly. And as soon as it hit me, uh, you know, certain things that were happening, certain things that you see around you at work and just noticing there was sort of an internal, on one side, there's a frustration. On the other side, there's feels like a calling you know, both are happening at the same time and start listening to that calling. And so as soon as I decided to leave, um, my wife and I spent some time putting pen to paper on whether that was possible from a budget perspective. And then as soon as that was green lighted, every single thing that was happening around me was pointing or was, was, was inviting me to, to make a shift. So what was that first month like after you left? Can you remember back? Like, what, what were you going through? What did you do? It was May 1st, almost, or right around May 1st, um, three, two and a half years ago. Um, gosh, three and a half years ago now. Man, time flies. Three and a half years ago, May 1st. Um, and I... Um, remember feeling very directed to leave. And then the first two days after like you feel like you have a day off and the two days after I was like, I made the worst decision of my life. And I had a panic attack. Like I was freaked out. My heart, my heart shakes now just thinking about it because, and I warn people now when they leave, cause I work with a lot of clients and they're, they sort of like go through a directional shift. And I'm like, when you leave, we're just going to, we'll talk two, three days after cause you're gonna have a heart attack. And it felt that way. I was so worked up. And so I go to my wife and I'm like, I know what I need to do. I'm going to put together a blog. And cause my friends want to know, you know, what it is that I'm doing with this year off. You know, I took a sabbatical. I decided that this was going to take a year off before I did anything. And, um, she looked at me and she's just like, nobody cares about what you're doing right now. No one, no one cares. So no, don't report it out. She's like, your whole life, you've been filling out timesheets and quarterly reports and weekly reports that you think that that is your value. Your timesheet and the time that you enter is your value or that weekly report that you put into your manager is your value. You need to go find your value. You need to go figure out who you are. And that means not reporting anything out to anybody. And I was like, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. All I did my entire 15 years before that practicing law was proving my worth by putting in 
timesheets and proving my worth by a weekly or quarterly report or a review. And I put so much effort in that, that my mind had not, I didn't know what I was without that. And it was sort of like the other end of a cliff. Like I felt like I just fell off a cliff and I didn't know I was going to fall. I didn't binge a show for two months. I couldn't relax. Mm. I couldn't just do and be and just float. I was doing stuff. I started writing a lot, um, but it was July 1st. Yeah, May, June, July. Two months, July 1st. I woke up one morning and I was like, oh my gosh, I just have free, free license to do whatever I want. What am I doing? Like, why am I worrying away about what's next? I spent those first two months trying to sort of fight the feeling of thinking about what's next. And I think July 1st, it hit me. There doesn't have to be a next right now. I've bought myself this permission to take the year off, enjoy it. And I finally started to enjoy. What did you write about? I wrote, I directed myself to write 2000 words a day. And I ended up with 80,000 words or 85,000 words or something. There's a word document somewhere sitting there that has words upon words about my experiences and my reflections from my first 15 years of working. And it's super interesting as a lawyer because we are very adept at writing on behalf of others. And we're really attuned to meeting the needs of clients and the people that we report to. And I think what happens over time and I th I've seen this now time and time again, I think what happens over time for a lot of us in the practice is that we lose touch then with what we want, what's coming up for us. We don't, we can depose someone else. We can get information from someone else. We can respond to a client's need and we can advocate on behalf of someone else through a complaint and a response. And I think over time as we just, our muscles flex on that in an incredible way, we become experts at that. I think with that overflexing of muscles ends up in atrophying of other muscles, which is really about what is it that you want? What's coming up for you? What was your challenge? What was your difficulty? And so I just wrote and wrote and wrote. I would sit down, I'd say 2000 words, don't get up until you hit 2000 and you can do whatever you want. 2000 being the sort of first draft of any op-ed or the first draft of any sort of reasonable piece. And so I just kept writing and it just, everything that I saw resulted in patterns, trends, challenges that sort of hit me like a brick. I was like, oh, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm paying attention to. These are things that have been difficult for me. And I noticed when I saw that, I realized that these things are going to be difficult for a lot of people. And it really was the beginning of the roadmap of, of everything that I started pursuing um, down the road. So, you know, what's interesting is, you know, when you were thinking about you know, when you first think about, you know, putting on your Jordans and, and growing your beard, you know, you felt like okay, that the context for that was that you were, had this conformist streak. And so, you know, your reaction to that, to doing your own thing was, you know, okay, maybe I can just help people. Uh, and so, you know, you were thinking about, you know, middle school students. And so it's interesting because, you know, I, I imagine there's not a lot of money in working for middle school students. Um, so it's interesting that your mind went there and, you know, part of this whole, you know, you talked about how this whole process was enabled by your finances. So I'm kind of curious to hear some more about how money figures into this transformation, because, you know, now you're experiencing a lot of success 
and you're helping other people with their own business development. So it's, it's very interesting because there's this very commercial aspect to that. And talk to me some more about, you know, how that, how you transition to thinking that's a space you needed to operate in and that's where you can make impact. Yeah. Hold me to the business development conversation. Cause as we meander, we might go away from it, but I want you to make sure to bring it back there. Cause it is all connected up in this interesting way. Um, the first piece is the permission that I got from my wife to not have income for a year. Um, as a person, as a man in the workplace, um, and I'm not being gendered about it, but there is this, you know, we buy into the patriarchy too. And there is this belief that I have to be the breadwinner. Even if it's not true, I held myself to that and it created a pressure. And so she was, she was like, no, I'm the breadwinner for a year. Uh, my wife runs an incredible nonprofit and we had this combined income of a, a lawyer, uh, you know, uh, at Apple and a, a, non, uh, a nonprofit executive director. And so there's, there's, you know, a certain uh, lifestyle that comes with that, whatever that lifestyle is, but we take away, you know, the larger part of that income. What does that look like? And it created fear for me. And I felt like I had to be the one that was responsible for that. And she just sort of let, she took the, the shackles off on that one and said, no, you don't have to be that person. That's not why we're together for you to have to do that. We're together because we love each other and that's it. And so I'm here to just, whatever it is that you need, I'm here to support. And she said, I'm, I'm the breadwinner for the year. In fact, she had a breadwinner dance. So she'd walk around and dance around the kitchen and we'd all watch as I'm the breadwinner. And it was just this fun thing, but it gave me so much freedom. Here's somebody telling me that no matter who I am and whatever I am, I'm good and she's good with it. And I think that I get... I get chills just thinking about that because that was probably the first time that anyone in my life has said that to me in such a directed way that no matter who you are and no matter what you are, I am with you. And that was, uh, that gave me a lot of freedom. And so that freedom I think comes um, in a certain way, but there was planning. We did need to make sure we were comfortable for that year. At least we knew what we were doing. And so we, you know, redid the math and figured out how do we live off of one income? And then we, we, we figure that, that whole piece out. I'm very much directed. Um, my self-worth up until that moment was very much directed by uh, income in part. And so to let go of that was part of that unworking that was happening in those first few months after I left is sort of realizing that I have more value than the income that I generate. And I think that there's a message that some of us believe that's sort of counter to that. And I've, I've learned differently. And so there was, it was freeing for me to say, I'm just going to be a guidance counselor in middle school, because certainly there's an income that's associated with that, but it was sort of letting go of this need to generate a certain amount in order to feel good about myself or feel good generally. Um, and I think that in that process, um, there was a, a friend of mine that runs a company. Uh, he's a CEO, he's a CEO of a company in Chicago, and he's a really good friend of mine. And we were talking, and you know, I've all, I've always pursued career paths that had a certain level of income associated with it. And he was like, "Man, I don't worry about money." And I was like, "How do you not worry about money? Like, I don't get that." And he's like, "Man, if I want money, I just go make it." And I was like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I, was, I never forgot to sit in the car. I picked him up from the airport. We were just driving. And, he told, and I was like, I am so worlds apart from this guy that I've known for 20 years. Like, how does he live and think this way? And why do I live and think this entirely other way? And it took me a while to understand that that's actually possible and true and has its own, you know, realism to it. Certainly there's, there's things that go that have to come before that, but, um, you know, I see that now I live that now in a certain way that if there's something that, uh, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit that I tapped into when I started my own business and we are now a company with employees and we have a team and transitioning from this place of feeling like I needed to go get a job that paid a certain amount versus being the type of person that can generate and create and, and, and manifest these things through, you know, the efforts that I put in and the people around me put in is just an entirely shift in my entire shift in the whole mindset and the way that in which, you know, I am and that I exist and that I work. And it allows me to sort of be in this creating mode rather than this mode of, you know, applying to be a part of, um, I hope this makes sense. It's making sense. Well, this me. is interesting because it, it dovetails with, yeah, I kind of start, I started asking a question like, oh man, I don't think I really connected the dots on that, but you just did, which is this difference between the conformist past and, you know, now like you stepped into yourself and it sounds like, you know, like that, that, that's part of what explains the system that you're in right now is that, you know, you step into your own self and that interesting allows you to create So being yourself is the thing that is really propelling you forward. I, I want to learn some more about that because I want to learn some more about what was that process of unlearning that, hey, you know, this is how you get money and this is why you do it to this other path. And like, what were the, what, like, were there like two or three discrete steps along the way that you can point and say, actually thinking back now, this is the moment that, you know, I started transitioning along this path. No, it's great questions. Um, the, thing that you're noticing and that I've realized and I value, I've always valued, and I don't think I've really ever had until now or in the last few years, is true autonomy and true self-rule, true comfort in who I am and what I'm able to generate. I don't know that I had that. I felt sort of uh, in, indebted to or a part of a law firm and um, a part of a company and, you know, having to go towards those things in order to generate whatever it is that I needed. And that's amazing. There's no knock on that. In fact, there's no judgment on that. I'm starting my own company now. I'm generating my own company. But that It's just a feeling of indebtedness or that I need that in order to, to be successful. I have realized over the last few years that that can be created on one's own and that um, that freedom that comes with self-rule and that comes with autonomy, generating that for myself um, only invites me to want to help other people generate that for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my first client, my first coaching client, we got together. I think he was on the order of two or three you know, 300,000 in originations in business. And we talked and he's just like, look, I want to be at, you know, 2 million. And I was like, okay, you know, what would that do for you? How would that help you? How that support you? He was very clear on all of it. Um, 
here we are two years later and I get a text last night from him and he says, I hit 2 million originations. This is my first client. We've been working together since he went, you know, just moved up the ranks. And we have, through this process of understanding entrepreneurship, through this process of understanding how to generate autonomy and how to really serve other people's needs and connect and develop relationships with clients. Um, I now do this, you know, through sort of seeing the value of having that experience myself, I felt like this is what people need and we're not creating the access for it. And for me, in part, it's the equity piece. You know, it's really allowing everybody to have an access and a piece of this thing that's going on around us. And oftentimes we're in environments and situations that don't often offer those tools. They don't often share that information. They don't often create the space for people to have this for themselves because there's a worry that if they have it, it takes away from mine. Um, the pie is big. The pie is huge in this country. Um, I say in this country because it's the only thing I'm familiar with really in this terms of type of experience. But, you know, I've been able to generate a, a certain um, type of business and I'm now able to help other people generate significant business. And it's been um, a real treat, a real product. Like it, it almost chokes me up just to see how much people's lives uh, shift and how much we're able to make people's lives change. You know, I think it, it's, uh, I can understand that now. I can understand that the freedom you're feeling is something that you want to share with other people. And it's this virtuous cycle that the more you feel it, the more you're positioned to help other people. And that's a pretty cool thing. I, I'm always thinking about flywheels wherever I can see them. Yeah, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to go back to that transition, you know, from you know, that search, you know, that 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 process of search, and you know, say just after you finished your batch of writing, because you know, I think it's important to recreate where you were in that position and the decisions you made then, and then just you know, figure out what worked, and you know, um, yeah, I think that would be really interesting to talk about. So then, what was that search process from knowing that okay, you're in this freeing spot where you don't have to worry about money? Uh, you, you're not being valued by those contributions. How did you then find your value? Imagine it's some sort of iterative process. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about this in terms of days, the things you're feeling. So, you know, if we can talk in terms of days of those experiences, that would be really interesting. You're talking about during the sabbatical, what was the transition period for me that kind of put me down a different path? Yep. Yeah. And days, you're actually saying, what's the calendar year look like? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I guess so just like, you know, on a several day kind of rolling range, like what was the experiences you were having that chartered out, you know, okay, well, here's the things that I was doing. And this is how I found that, that path for myself to this coaching that I'm doing now. Yeah. The July 1st moment was I can do whatever I want. And what did I want to do? I wanted to train as a yoga teacher. You know, that was the thing that I've been practicing for many years. It brings a smile. I'm like, I get pumped just thinking about it because I was like, man, I just want to go and do more. And there's this video of me. I practiced so much. There's this video of me. I'll send it to you of doing, there's a pose. It's, I think it's called prasarita where your, your hands are on the ground and your legs are apart. And then you go prasarita headstand. And I had never done it. And there's this video of me, I think it's in like August or September of that year where I'd been practicing so much that I did that thing. And I was, I had like asked my wife to videotape it because it was so freeing. I started feeling younger. 
because of how much I was able to take care of my health after being in corporate for 15 years, never having taken a vacation for over, you know, like five days. And I started feeling so much better that I was like, I want to do more. I took a yoga teacher training, um, which was life-changing. I came back and my wife said, you are a different person. You're not the person I married. I had changed so much in the course of 10 days. Um, I don't recognize the person that I was before that. It's hard to articulate what that transformation is in a short amount of time, but I could just see the layers that were restricting me and I was starting to shed them off as a result of that. It's a physical process. It's a mental process. It's an emotional process. It's a spiritual process. And I think through that experience, it was a transformation for me. A week or two later, I went to uh, the other thing I signed up for. This is what I want to do with my free time is I signed up for a meditation retreat. I signed up for a couple. I went on a like a three to five day meditation retreat in that August. And I signed up for another 10 day retreat later that fall. And I think those pro- times when I was able to sit and be with um the instructors that were there, uh, again, allowed me to just be curious and investigate what was coming up for me. And I went to a mindfulness retreat for lawyers. And I met a couple of people there who are still my mentors and the people that I look up to. But I saw this woman, Rhonda McGee, who I think is one of the most incredible people. And she, uh, there's a woman, Judy Cohen, who i took a course with the next year. And then this woman, Rhonda McGee, and both of them are, 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 are mentors and guides. And I, we were in this retreat and they were able to, we were dialoguing on, on challenging. We had this dialogue on race. And I remember feeling like here are people that are able to hold space for everyone in a dialogue on race. And I didn't know, I had not experienced that in my life. I'm always in a room full of people and we're not touching the topic or I'm in a room full of people and um, certain people are being judged in that room. And here I was in a space where I felt like everyone was in this room, not feeling judged and we're talking about race. And I realized in that moment, this is what I want to do. I want to create spaces where people of all backgrounds, no matter where they're from, no matter their age group or where they are in the country, are able to talk about race and feel heard collectively. And that wasn't a thing. And I remember that was, you know, August of whatever it was, three or four years ago. And when I came out of that teacher training, the yoga teacher training, I came out of that meditation retreat, um, I had enlisted a coach. And I went to my coach and I was like, I figured it out. This is what I want to do in the world. And I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the faculties. I wasn't at that point in that place. And yet I've spent the better part of this year holding space for thousands of people now to dialogue on how they feel about this year, to have dialogues on where they are on the spectrum on their race consciousness or their consciousness about gender or their consciousness about sort of where we're going. And we have detailed, relevant dialogue in the collective about their own biases, about how they're, how they show up in the world. And I'm able to do this now in the collective. And so that was, that came out of that, that month 
you know, many years ago, knowing that I didn't feel like I was equipped then, but I've, I've sort of tooled and retooled over the next many years to sort of be in this place where I am right now, where, um, in the last month, you know, I've held many conversations on this topic and it is only continuing to grow and unfold. And it's certainly because we just need it. We are not, we're at a very, I feel like we're at a nascent stage of having dialogue in the collective on race comfortably or being able to get comfortable with that discomfort. And we're starting to see it now more and more, but I felt that need coming out of my corporate work life. I felt like these are topics that were not able to dialogue around comfortably. I felt the need for it. And I saw that this is something I want to do. And I just moved, moved my career towards that. And so I also felt like after that experience that mindfulness and the tools that come from yoga and meditation and mindfulness are actually the tools that we need in the workplace. And I'm naturally a diplomat. I play the role of diplomacy my entire life. I'm always bringing together people from different backgrounds. I'm sort of, I think maybe as an immigrant, you play that role naturally in part as you come from a certain place. Uh, I, mean, I was born here, but as a son of immigrants, you sort of are always interconnecting. You go to India and you feel like you got to bring, you know, who you are to this place or you're here and you're sort of connecting worlds. And so I'd always felt like in this diplomatic role. And now I feel like when I got out of that month, I'm like, man, people in the workplace need this. They need to feel the way that I feel right now and still be able to work. Like both have to be happening at the same time. And that's when I really tapped into at first a need for well-being in the workplace. Well-being in the legal workplace was not a conversation that was happening then as much as it is now. It was in fact that month that the ABA came out with its report on lawyer well-being. And I saw it and I'm like, this is exactly what we need. And I'm glad there are people out there that are thinking about it. And now I'm one of them. And so I realized that mindfulness and the trainings that come and the learning that comes from yoga is something that we need in the workplace. And that if people felt this way while working, then we would have um, a much better experience. Um, not wanting to have everybody on their yoga mats in the office, I decided I need to train also as an executive coach. And I, I came across that because I went to a conference, um, Wisdom 2.0, and this was later that year, Wisdom 2.0 was happening. And I got to this conference and everyone around me, you know, that I enjoyed connecting with, that's, you know, was, was an executive coach. And I'm like, well, what, where'd you get trained? And I found out where they got trained and I'm getting trained. And I started working with my first set of clients right after that. So it was this incredible transition, but that year off allowed for these experiences to happen. If I was still working, they, they never would have happened. And so it really allowed me to make this huge transition and shift. What do you think you wish you did, or, or if, if you had to do it all over again, what's something that you would have done differently about that, that time? Not a thing. Nothing. I think that everything that happened happened for a reason in the way that it did. Every experience that I've had, you know, I don't, now that I am running a business where we are facilitating dialogues on what's difficult and coaching folks and generating wealth through business development, we're doing all of this. Um, everything that I did early in my life, working at a law firm, making partner, working at a company, 
um, on learning from and using those experiences to inform what I do now. And so that year was the same. I mean, every single thing about it was awesome. And I'll never forget that year. Um, it's the first year I remember in my adult life where I slept eight hours a night for weeks at a time. I didn't know what that felt like for the longest time. And so just all of the things that came from a year off were uh, amazing. And I don't know that I would do any of it differently. You know, I, I think in your you're very much of an optimist and, and someone who really is, I think I'm going to be really hard pressed to pull a negative experience out of you. And uh, that's okay. But, you know, I have negative experiences, but I think I hold them differently. I find them to be informative. And so I value them. So it's just a different way. My wife says, she's like, I just need to talk to the optimist right now. She knows it. This side of the house is like very optimistic. And it's not just optimism. It's just that I have, uh, deep curiosity about the negative feelings, the things that are bad and difficult. I don't try to, I don't know that we should be avoiding them. I think we should be stepping into them. And when you step into them and you understand them and you get underneath them, there's just awesome information and experience there. And so I'm always, uh, curious and comforted by what's happening on that side of our, our lives too. I kind of holding space for both rather than just going for what's positive. Who's a, a thinker or what's a resource that really influenced that sort of approach? It's all of this mindfulness work. It's being in 10 day retreats. Um, you know, people, there's a lot of people that are experiencing these retreats now, but for those who haven't, you know, there's a, I've heard, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, must be nice. I got this on the way to one of my retreats from somebody. So oh, it must be nice. You get to go just go sit. And I'm like, man, if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, but sitting with your own thoughts and nothing else for the period of a week, frankly, even for the period of a day can be quite challenging. And mindfulness and meditation allow us to get comfortable with experiencing the range of difficulties that come up inside of us when there's nothing to escape to. And when you sit with that and you allow that to unfold and you experience it, um, it really changes the way in which you exist in the world. And so it's a profound change and a profound impact that has come from days, if not weeks now, sitting in meditation. You know, I've done many 10-day retreats. I sit in meditation for days on my own. Um, I sit daily almost, and I think through that process, and now I, I facilitate and invite many other people to join me in that experience. And so we hold weekly, you know, meditation. I host a weekly meditation. I, it's always a part of all of the work that I do and the training that I do, and even the business development course. I mean, we are always sitting with what's difficult. And I think that uh, learning comes from all of this work that's being done in the mindfulness space. And I think that probably ties to the sort of, you know, I sense a sort of abundance mindset in what you're talking about. You know, you're talking about, you know, what a big world is out there and, you know, and, you know, the pie is big, man. The pie yeah, is big. Pie is big. So then is that too just something that's experiential? Because it's so interesting to me because you talked about in you know, that earlier phase of your development, it was so much resource driven. 
And, you know, what's interesting is in that phase of life, you were, you describe yourself as somewhat conformist, but then after that, this next phase is very experiential and it's also very relationship driven. Uh, and that seems to be the two sources of insights and just want to see if, say this abundance mindset and, and, and the pie is getting bigger. Where does that come from? Uh, it's absolutely just true. It comes from a lived experience of knowing and seeing it to be true. And it's having trust and faith in that, but then also just knowing that it's, it's quite possible. And so when I am teaching business development, we are talking so much about the value of relationships. We are talking about how the important relationships you have um, and, and how you evolve those relationships can make a huge difference in how you show up as someone that generates business. But the key part of that is understanding the difficulty that someone else experiences. And once you get and are able to tap into that, see, so often when we think about generating business, we think people are coming to us for us, They're not coming to us for you. They're coming to you because you understand their difficulty and are able to get them through it, whatever that difficulty is. And so your ability to sort of hear that and be attentive to it and understand it and know that you can solve it is really a huge um, mindset shift from feeling like you have to sell yourself. You have to sell yourself. You have to just provide services to the world or provide product to the world in a way that is addressing their need, their difficulty, and their challenge. And we got a world full of 7 billion people that have some difficulty and challenge. So there's a lot that can be done out there. And so if you're part of resolving that, you're part of the process on resolving someone else's difficulty, then that is your path to um, understanding your value and what your value is, the unique offering that you have to the world. And then when you figure that out, certainly there's going to be some ability to charge someone for it and nothing egregious, but just a reasonable value for whatever it is that you do. And that can be the underpinning of an incredible business. So I have two questions. And the first one is, how have you, what's changed about how you grow your relationships, you know, since you hit that inflection point, you know, um, I, you know, and y'all forgive me for, for calling that inflection point. I don't really have a better way to describe it based on, you know, the experiences you're sharing, but, you know, so like what, if anything has changed about how you sustain relationships, how you grow your relationships and then how do you do it? I mean, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. Is it all one-on-one? Is it something you're doing at scale? I mean, so, so describe, you know, what's changed and then how you're progressing your relationships. I mean, I study how relationships work for myself and for others. This is really underneath so much of the work that we do. And I think everyone can be curious about what's worked for them in relationships. Certainly you and I were strangers at some point to one another. And yet we are, you know, friends and colleagues. And so we, we want to be really curious about what gets you to that place of friends and colleagues with people from stranger. What gets you from someone knowing you to liking you to trusting you? And what's that formula for Kurum? Like, what's that formula for me? It doesn't, we have to do the thing that worked for someone else, but certainly you're in a place right now where you have people around you, not the family that you're sort of is forced to love you, but the people in your world that really care about you and love you. How did they get here? How did you get them here? And let's be really curious about what were the experiences that moved your professional colleagues to know you, then to like you, and then trust you? What were the experiences that you're, you had with your friends? And can that be something that you actually invest 
dedicated time into going forward to the people that you meet from this point on? Um, can you really be th sort of thoughtful about it in that way, be intentional about developing relationships? Certainly, I think it's true. And I think it, it, so much of relationship is not about what you do, but it's just about how you are. It's how you show up. It's that you do show up with that kindness and that understanding and that fun and that connectedness. How many people start a phone call with the agenda in mind? Start it with just connecting with the person. You know, how, what's going on? How are you? What's, you know, what, and we don't, you know, we, the, the, people diminish that moment by calling it small talk. It's the whole thing. I have a client, you know, we talk about relationships all the time. Yeah, he's a partner at a law firm and he's one of more, his, he's inclined to be more get to the purpose of the call. He got on a call with a colleague recently and he noticed that the colleague was just talking about um, everything but the work for about 10 minutes. What happened after that? The person on the line was so comfortable that whatever work that needed to be done or needed to come from that call, it came after that in, in spades, meaning they were handing over like major projects as a result of that. It wasn't the, the, the strategy that my client had before, um, you know, we had sort of dialogued about it and before he noticed was just like the agenda first and here's what we're able to do for you and, and let's move that forward. And it was everything but that that worked in creating that connection with the person on the other phone, which is really just about that other person's humanity and what's coming up for them. And if you're able to notice that and see that in what works for you in relationship, the things that really work, um, and you're able to, you know, understand that formula that works for you and really sort of extrapolate that algorithm forward, it's going to entirely reshape how you relate and connect with people going forward. So, you know, and I'm mindful that we were, we're wrapping up a few minutes. So maybe this will be the final question, but or final topic, but so what is it about that same perspective that you're applying to the growth of your own business? Cause you've got a company now, you've got employees, you're growing. So how is some of the principles you're talking about that formula algorithm that you describe, you know, that approach, how is that um, impacting how you're growing? Well, I'm a relationships person. And so I find it, um, uh, you know, it, it's easier for me, I think, in a, in, a, in a certain way. It's something that's natural, but I'm tapping into that thing that's a natural talent of mine. I'm leaning into it more. Um, I spend time on any call that I'm with anybody. I, rather than just talking about our work and our business, I want to spend the first 10 minutes just hearing about the challenges that that person is experiencing. And so no matter what call it is, no matter who I'm talking to, I, you know, I will be asking about what's coming up for you. What is it the challenge that you're feeling? What's the going on? Oftentimes we enter into situations wanting to talk about what, what we have to offer. What is it we're doing? What's coming up for us? We got to learn how to listen. And I just sit there and I listen and I, you know, all evidence to the contrary for certainly on a, on a podcast like this, but I sit and, and you're good at this. And I think that a lot of people have this as a, as a tool that they can build or a natural talent but sit and just understand the challenge that people are going through. And I think that allows me to connect because I find that there are three ways that I successfully connect with people. This is my formula. I either support someone in going through something. That's a way of improving a relationship. I'm supported by someone in uh, with my challenges. That's a way of building a relationship or that you endure something together. 
you're on a, a trial team together, you're in a difficult workplace situation together, you endure a family challenge together, and you come out of that stronger. And so if you can continue to create those situations where you help someone else, they help you, or you do something difficult together, I think I find, and I think most people will find that you'll have a lot more stronger relationships uh, around you. And so certainly, Kerm, that's what we do in our work is we support people in their challenges and we step into really difficult conversations and difficult situations with people. And when we get into those situations in the collective and we come out of it, it's, um, it builds an incredible series of relationships, an incredible network, as people say. Hmm. Well, you know, I had certain ideas for things I wanted to cover. I wasn't sure how we covered them. And I feel very satisfied with, you know, we hit on the career strategy and relationships, the personal finance and, you know, how money fits in all this. I think those are all really interesting themes. I wasn't sure how they all weave together, but they did. So uh, glad we hit them all. I wasn't either, man, but you did it. So thanks a ton. <laughs> this is great. Thanks, you dear. All right. We'll talk soon.